All right, here we go. Don't worry about that. So all that means is that five-minute video is going to save us 50 minutes. So as long as you guys are cool being here for two hours, we're good. All right. Okay, so what the video was going to tell you about was the kingdom of God. It was going to explain all the background of the Old Testament, so I didn't do it, and so you guys didn't get too bored of me. But let's just go ahead and jump right into it, and we'll see where we go. So we're talking about the gospel. Simply put, the gospel means the good news, right? means good news. And so the good news is about Jesus. So if we're going to start the most simple aspect of the gospel, we say the gospel, the good news is Jesus. Next step. The good news is what God has done through Jesus. Now, what God has done through Jesus is he has reconciled all things. Now, reconciled means simply to bring things back together. So things that were far apart have been brought close together. Things that were wrong have been made right. So in Jesus, God has reconciled. He's brought back together man and God and creation itself. He's bringing back everything back to God. Now, next step. And the way that God is going to reconcile, to bring everything back to himself, to bring everything back to the order it's supposed to be in, in Jesus, is the first way is, is through the work of Jesus as the Messiah. Now, this is what we talked about last week. We talked about his role as Messiah. And so to understand Messiah, we really had to understand the context. And so in this entire area of gospel and good news, we learned that for us to understand what the news means, we have to understand the context and, of course, the recipient and the content. Now, to simplify that, here's the example we used the other day, right? In about, was it nine months or six months here, the Razorbacks will be playing the Alabama Crimson Tide. And so if I come to church and I say, the Razorbacks won, it's going to be a long day, isn't it? I mean, you won't even cheer for the Razorbacks. We're in trouble. Okay. For us, it's good news because the context is we knew that what was happening is that the Razorbacks played uh, the tide and that because we are the recipients, because we like the Razorbacks, then the content of the news that they won is good for us. Now, if you moved us to all the way back to 1805, and someone shows up and says, hey, guess what, the Razorbacks won. You'd say pigs were fighting. Right? Okay, now it makes sense, right? Okay, so this is, is, is what happens with news. Okay, we have to understand the context, what's going on around it. We have to understand who's receiving it. And we have to understand the content of the message so that we know it's good news. So with that, though, the context, the background for this news arriving is basically the entire Old Testament, okay? Basically, all of human history leading up to, uh, to the first century is the context. And to save us lots and lots of time, I broke it down simply like this, okay? The, the gospel's context starts in the garden, okay? And in the garden, we see this, the rebellion of man. We see God place creation and all authority in the hands of man, and he begins to rebel against God, and this is where the entire problem starts, the next setting is the covenant. We see where God tries again to reconcile, to make things right. And so he picks Abram. He calls him out from this place, this, this, this symbol of rebellion, which is Babylon. Calls him out to bring the agent of healing and change. Now him and his people are not able to do it. They somehow stumble and fall. The next thing we see in the context is the king. We see King David, this man who is a picture of many of the things 
that the Messiah will come to do, but unfortunately, he's not able to do it either. But he's promised that this Messiah will come through his bloodline. The next context is the exile. Because Abram's descendants were not able to obey God to bring healing to creation, because they've chosen other gods, just like their father um, Adam, they are now dispersed, they're exiled. And it's very important because to them, the way God was going to heal the world was through them as a people and through Zion, the picture of their own, the holy city of God, Jerusalem. And so since they've been dispersed, the idea is that the promise, the covenant with God has been broken because they have failed. And so as they're exiled, as they've been sent off to all these other lands, there becomes these, these, these messengers who pop up throughout history. They're called prophets. And these messengers from God have this message. They're saying, all hope is not lost because God is going to send someone who's going to make it all right. Even though you and your, your father's fathers and all of them could not do what I asked them to do, I have one who's going to come and make it all right. His name is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. And what happens here is, even though they hear this, they're in prison, they're in exile, and so it's not exactly easy to believe. And so hundreds of years go by, and then now we find ourselves in the most recent context, which is the Romans. The Romans are just the newest um, bad guy in the block, if you would. The newest guy to oppress uh, the Jews, to hold them down. But what happens with Rome is they seem to be unbeatable. Their power is, is just so vast. Their grip on the world is so strong. There seems to be no hope for the Jews at all. Now, this is the context for the message. And, of course, the content, very simply, Jesus brings news. And what he brings is this, and we see it in Acts 2.36. Uh, the apostle Peter says, And you guys are right to believe that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And, of course, to us... That doesn't really mean much. But when you begin to break down, there are three titles in this statement that define how God was going to to reconcile all things. The first one is found in Jesus' name. His name itself means that Yahweh saves. The second title, Messiah, is showing that this promised Savior of the Jews is Jesus himself. And, of course, the third title, which we'll study today, is his title of Lord. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. But to understand Messiah, there are some things that the Messiah was coming to do. What the, what the Messiah was coming to do, the first thing was he's going to defeat the serpent, and it's by, through his sacrifice. If you guys weren't here last week, we had this great video that really just kind of explained all of the Old Testament dominoes, if you would, and how they fell, and how it all leads up to Jesus. But the idea is that the serpent and Satan, and his bite is death, meaning the result of man choosing to, to, to become partners and allies with Satan is sin. And yet, in their sin, in their relationship now with Satan, the result of this relationship with Satan is the bite of the serpent. The snake is going to bite you, and that bite is death. Because if you see, before they partnered with Satan, when they partnered with God, the result of this relationship was life. And so what happens here is that we see the Messiah is going to defeat the serpent. He's going to restore man to right relationship with God. We see that he's going to return the Jews to the promised land, which is a picture of returning all people to the Garden of Eden. We see that he's going to purify their worship. He's going to open up the temple for the entire world. He's going to end sin forever. He's going to lead Israel out of captivity, and he's going to reign eternally. Don't you wish that video would have just played? That's what I was trying to avoid. Okay, so now that we have that out of the way, because, you know, again, if I didn't, we'd be here for two hours. Now we can start this week. You guys ready? 
Let's go ahead and pray before we start this week. How about that? So, Father, we just come to you this morning, and we desire, we desire to get it. Ask, Lord, that this morning that your spirit would be at work. We welcome the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would just be at work, opening our eyes and understanding that we would get it, that it would sink into our, our minds, into our hearts, that we would see the picture of who you are in Jesus, and that we would understand what you are coming to do and how you are calling us to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there is no series I've ever done that I've wanted you to get more. And so with these first two weeks, I've really been just really bothered with how they've gone. You know, I just, I really want it to be so much clearer. Um, have you guys ever seen those like, uh, what do you call them? It's almost like a uh, picture puzzle. The whole idea is like when you look at it on paper, it just, it, it's like a bunch of white and black dots. But if you look really hard, all of a sudden this image kind of pops out of it. Yes? We've seen it before. This one's really famous. It's like this picture of these dots. When you look at it long enough, all of a sudden you see this old woman. And then when you look harder, you see this young woman, right? Well, the way I feel about the scriptures often is that to most of us, at first glance, it's just a bunch of dots. What do you see? I see black and white dots. (laughs) It's great. And then as we begin to to look even, even harder, we see, okay, you know, this is really ugly old woman. That's great. Okay. Bible's awesome. You know. But the more you look, then you see something beautiful inside of it. And so here in the gospel itself, the heart that I have with this series is that we would see the beauty of what God was doing in Jesus. It's not just what we see on the surface. And even beyond that, it's not just the second level that we see, but there's something so intricate and complex and sweeping and beautiful and what God is accomplishing through his son on the earth. And so the heart that I have for this entire series is that we would get it. So one thing that I want to start this morning is this. If you guys notice, I'm always asking for feedback. And you guys are always like, well, we're too busy taking notes. I get that. So we're going to try this. Whenever I feel like we're at this, this point or this, this uh, picture that I really want to be clear, what I'll say is this. Do you see it? And if you see it, say, see it. How about that? Do you see it? Oh, thank the Lord. And if you do that, I'll move on. If you don't, we're going to hit it again and again and again until it becomes clear, okay? So if you guys want to get out there, and you know, uh, for lunch on time, talk, okay? I mean, I promise it's going to be helpful. Okay, here we go. Now, we've learned that the entire gospel is summed up in Jesus. It's this, this uh, overwhelming concept that God is, is accomplishing his entire intent and plans and love and wisdom for all of creation is being accomplished through this one human being, Jesus, who is also the Son of God. And so in this, we've learned that his first role of Messiah, we've learned that this Messiah was coming to accomplish all of these different things. But then we see this other title. We see this title of Lord. Have you guys noticed in the New Testament that this title Lord pops up everywhere. Have you guys seen that? Oh, here we go. Okay. It's about to have you open your Bibles. And, Do you see it? Okay. Okay, here we go. We see it. We got it. And so what happens here with all this kind of stuff is that, you know, I've seen this title pop up everywhere, and I just kind of assumed it's just kind of a, a passing 
reference. Oh, yes, he's God, he's great. But when you really begin to see these titles, okay, it's always Jesus Christ. And, of course, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, right? So he's Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, Jesus the King, Jesus the Prince of Peace. There's all these titles, and these titles are so crucial because without us understanding what the Bible is saying about who he is and what he's done, it makes it impossible for us to relate to him. For example, if you were to walk into a room, oh, I'll use this one. If you were driving on, on the interstate and some random car is trying to pull you over, and this random car just happened to be a police officer, okay, but for some reason he didn't have his lights and he didn't have his uniform. He's trying to pull you over and you didn't pull over. Would that be a good thing for you? <laughs> yep, <laughs> okay. What's happening here, okay? Um, let me flip it up more. We'll say you're from a, you know, third world country, and you're not sure what the lights mean. You're not sure what the uniform means. When he pulls you over, you go, I don't know why you're pulling me over. Who are you? Because everything that signifies his role in the world, his role to you, you don't understand. So you're not able to relate to him the way that you need to relate to him. And so with Jesus, we don't understand what his names mean, what his titles mean, what his, if you would, what the sirens on his car mean, what, all these different things, right? We don't understand who he is and the role he has, not just to us, but to the world. And because we don't understand his role, we don't know how to relate to him. Does that make sense? Do you see it? Okay. Okay, that's much better. Here we go. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to um, the book of Acts. My notes, for some reason, did not update on this. This is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, can you get my laptop? I don't even know what I'm supposed to read to you guys right now. Yes, in the office. Well, you know what? Technology is just amazing. Maybe, yeah, maybe we need to watch the video. No, it's okay. Thank you for saving my life, Kristen. Okay, Here, she's got my notes and I don't have my notes. Here we go, okay. Here's what I said, okay. Um, this is going to be really difficult because I'm skipping all over the place. So basically what's happened here, okay, we're starting with, yes. This is going to be really awkward. I'm going to have a big laptop, but just ignore it, okay. And people are texting at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you see it. I got you. Okay, so here's the context, okay. Last week... We started with the Gospel of Luke. The reason for that is Luke is the, the Gospel writer who spent the most time with the Apostle Peter and with the Apostle Paul. And it's very important because he spent time with the Apostle to the Jews and the Apostle to the Greeks as they were both having to figure out what this Gospel meant. And so he gets a very full picture. And so if you notice in the Gospel of Luke, he's always referring to Jesus in all three titles, okay? As the Savior, as, as the King, and as the Messiah. And so what's going to happen here was we start out in Luke last week, and we have our first Gospel sermon in Acts 2, uh, 36. And what happens here is that we see this idea of, of who Jesus is. And again, if you guys remember that Luke is also the author of the book of Acts. And so it's a very consistent narrative going from the Gospel of Luke all the way through the book of Acts. I did not plan to lose my notes. I'll tell you that right now. Here we go. Oh, thank the Lord. Okay, if you guys have your Bibles, here's what's going to happen. 
So what happens is we see it start with, with the picture of who Jesus is in the Gospel of Luke. It moves all the way into Acts 2 where the Apostle Peter stands up and he gives the first Gospel sermon. And now we're going to fast forward to the end of the book of Acts. If you notice in the book of Acts, it's this progression. Jesus ends the Gospel of Luke and he tells his disciples, I want you to take this good news from Judea. I mean, from, from, from uh, uh, Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, all the way to the end of the earth. And what is happening here in the book of Acts is you're watching this good news be transferred from the city all the way through in its progression. And it's going to end in the book of Acts here in Rome. And so what's very interesting about this whole thing is that the aspect of, um, that we're covering this morning with Jesus as king is about to be proclaimed very loudly at the steps, if you would, of Caesar's throne. Paul has made his way all through the known world, and he is now coming face to face with the Lord and King of the world at that time in history, Caesar. And he is coming to Caesar with one message. Jesus is King, not you. Brave man, that Paul, right? Yes, very brave man. Okay, so um, here's what happens here. We see here in verse 23... We see that uh, Paul's arrived in Rome. They say uh, they've arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day. They're coming to talk with him about all the stuff that he's been bringing in, in the prophets. He's talking to um, God-freeing uh, uh, Gentiles and Jews here. If you guys fast forward with me all the way to verse 28, he basically is, he's just kind of mocked them a little bit. He's been telling them about who Jesus is. They've been arguing with him, and then he quotes the Old Testament. Um, I believe Isaiah, and he tells them, of course, they have closed ears and closed hearts. So they're not going to be saved, is what he's telling them. Kind of rough. Verse 28, he said, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. Now, this is very crucial. He's saying the context for what he's about to say here in verse 28. He's just told the Jews, he's just told them that Jesus is the Messiah. And now he's saying... But this message is not stopping with you. It's going beyond you. He's saying the reason I'm in Rome is to take this message to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so here he's, he's about to switch from arguing Jesus as Messiah to Jesus as Lord. And, he, and uh, here in verse 30 he says, For two whole years uh, Paul stayed there in his own uh, rented house in Rome. He welcomed all who came to see him. And here we go. For two years he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus the Messiah. With all boldness and without hindrance. Now, he's in Rome for two years. It's on house arrest. And for two years in Rome, he has freedom to leave his house. He has freedom you know, to walk up about the city. And for two years, as he waits for Caesar to see him, he has been proclaiming, first of all, the kingdom of God. If we're going to talk about Jesus and his role as Lord and King, we have to talk about his kingdom because a king has to have a what? A kingdom, right? And so when Jesus comes, he comes bearing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, specifically the impending kingdom of God. What that means is it's almost like if I were to fly to North Korea right now, you know, everyone's like, good luck, won't see you again. If I were to fly to North Korea right now, as an ambassador of, of this nation, and I were to walk in and say, I have news. My nation is coming. My kingdom, my king sent me to tell you that my kingdom is on its way. And oh yeah, it's near. 
the invasion has begun. This is the equivalent of what is being said here. Because the kingdom of God is at, at hand. Now understand this. Understand that Jesus, especially in the Gospels, um, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's always talking kingdom. The news that Jesus and John the Baptist bring are of the kingdom of God. And of course, after Jesus, the Apostle Paul and Peter realized that all of the kingdom, all of what God is going to do through this new reign is all encapsulated in Jesus. So they begin to preach Jesus. And so what happens here is we have to understand how serious these implications are. These are fighting words, folks. The kingdom is near. Now, let's go ahead and jump into it. Here's what's going on here, okay? The word Lord, okay, here's what it means. It means kurios. That's how you pronounce it in the Greek. Kurios. It means a person exercising absolute ownership rights. Did you get that? A person exercising absolute ownership rights. That'll make you think about Romans 10 a little bit more when you guys get saved, right? When you confess that Jesus has absolute ownership rights over you. Everyone goes, I, I said that? Did I do? Hopefully you did. See that. And so what happens here with this title is we see that whoever this title Lord is used for, in the context that they are covering, they are saying that they are exercising absolute ownership rights. Now, we understand what this means. So we went into great depth last week on all of, of, of what it meant for the Messiah to be here. And so we understand that when Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah, the Messiah is here. What they're saying is he is coming and he's accomplishing all these things. Now news is basically the information about an event happening that's going to change things forever. So when something happens, okay, that means things are forever altered or changed or touched by it. And so the question for us is, we understand what it means for the Messiah to come, but how does Jesus not only be a Messiah, how does Jesus being King and Lord change the news? So here's the first thing. The first news that this brings us, if Jesus is Lord, here's the first thing it means, okay? If Jesus is Lord and King, what this means is that we have some family news. Here's what it means. It means that God is expanding the family. It means that Jesus will not only restore Israel to relationship with God. It means that he will also restore the Gentiles to the Creator and Israel to the Gentiles. It's a picture of the full reconciliation of all men and all things. I encourage you guys, if you have the ability to take notes and to go back on these verses that I've got here, I'm not sure if they're, if they're up there. If you don't have them, I'll include them for you. If you guys are taking notes, Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 15. Those, those, those uh, verses are crucial for you guys to understand it. Um, understand this. Understand that what's happening here, stay with me, the scope is changing. Okay, so in Genesis, the scope is very big. It's about the relationship of God to man, God to all of creation. And then as the story moves to Abram, the rest of the Old Testament is very simple. It's about God and his relationship to this family line, to Israel. And so everything that takes place is about God and his family, Israel. But now God's doing something very funky. Now he's taking it back to the big scope. He's saying, he's saying Jesus as Messiah shows he's coming back for his people, the Jews. But Jesus as Lord, as the king over all men, not just the Jews, is saying he's not just coming back for his small family. He's coming back for all of his family, all of his creations that he's made. 
He's coming back for all mankind. The family of God is being expanded. The news of Jesus the Messiah was very good news to the Jews. The news as Jesus of of Lord of the Gentiles was very bad news to the Jews. Do you see it? I was about to say, do we have like some single children here? Okay, my kids don't like sharing anything, okay? The more children that you have in a house, Russell's, right? I mean, Dean's, okay? The, the more children that you have in the house, the more chaos, because there's going to be more fighting, okay? Because again, okay, if you have one child, they get the whole place to themselves, okay? Like, they get all the attention, then they get to play with all the toys. You have two, there's some, okay? Three, four, five, it's chaos. We don't want to share anything. The Jews have been waiting for generations, suffering. Finally, our Messiah is here, and you're coming to save the people who have been killing us for thousands of years. Really? Okay. Let's just move on. How about that? Here's the next thing it means. Here's the next news it brings, if that makes sense. This is world news. Okay, if Jesus is, is not only the Lord of the Gentiles, if he's also the Lord and King of all this world, what this means is simple. God plans not only to lead his people as the Messiah, but the whole world as their Lord and King. Meaning, as the Messiah was coming to create this new kingdom, okay, this new place where he would rule his people and everything would be made right and perfect and peaceful, the Jews believed that the Messiah would come and he would... He would defeat the Gentiles, and I mean, there'd be a huge battle, and you know, Battle of Armageddon is actually a very Jewish understanding. They believe there's going to be a big battle for the Messiah. He was going to kill everybody, and then he was going to create this great kingdom, similar to Solomon's kingdom. And because the kingdom was so great, and everything worked perfectly, there was peace and justice and healing and life, all of the other kingdoms would want to come to them, okay, to be a part of it, but it would still be theirs. Does that make sense? God's saying, oh, no, 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 yes, as Messiah, I am going to lead you. But actually, what I'm doing is much bigger than Jerusalem. I'm going to create this kingdom in the entire world. Now, what's very funky about this is, from the first century on, for about 300 years, this becomes the reason that the Christians are attacked and murdered, thrown to the lions, crucified. Because once Caesar realized what this implication was, Once he realized that these people believed that only one person could be king, and it had to be God. It couldn't be any man. God alone would rule this new kingdom. Then it was war. And so from that period on, Christians were crucified and attacked and hunted down until Rome realized they could not resist it, and they had to adopt it. And that's a whole other story for us. But this is big news. And so in the way that the Messiah would come to rule uh, Israel... This tells us that uh, the God of Israel will bring all men and he will lead all men in this new kingdom and he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. Here's the next thing it means, okay? We have cosmic news, okay? Cosmic, okay? The cosmos. What do you picture when you see cosmos? Stars and planets. Everyone's like, who cares about all that? It's too early for all that, right? It's really only what? 10.30. You guys should all be getting to church right now, right? Okay. The way to really fall, here's what it means. It's, it means that if God is not only the God of the Jews, the King of the Jews, he not only now the King of all men, and now he's going to rule the entire world, now he's saying, oh yeah, and by the way, 
I'm also the king and the God and the ruler of not just men, not just this planet, but of the entire universe. What this is, it's an owner coming back to reclaim what's rightfully his. And so what's taking place here is that this, his people and this planet and all of creation had been stolen from him. And so you have this owner in God himself coming back and, and he's giving notice. He's saying, I'm coming back to reclaim all that is mine. Everything that was taken from me, I am now going to take it back to myself. I'm going to reconcile all things. See it? God is taking claim not only to Zion, again, the picture of like this holy city, this place where God would make perfect, because the picture of Zion is now all of creation. God is going to renew everything. But to the whole world and all creation, his Messiah will not only rebuild and heal Jerusalem, but everything, returning us to a garden-like future. I wish, I, I mean, honestly, each one of these little points could be an entire series. There's so much in all of this. And I encourage you guys, the first Sunday after Easter, we're going to start a heaven series. A lot of this idea of what the Messiah and the King of all creation is going to accomplish when he returns is what we are to expect in heaven and in the new heaven and new earth. And so I encourage you to make it for that series. You will not want to miss that one. It's going to be a blast. Now, we understand what God's coming to do. He's coming to restore everything. Now, this changes things for you. When you begin to see in scriptures that God is coming back for all people, he's coming back to restore and to heal everything, and he, he's now, he's taking claim, meaning he's putting his hand on his people, on all people, the world, and all creation. This starts to change your expectations of what he does when he comes back. For example, if what the Messiah and King is coming to do is to come down to pluck out his people from this terrible place and take them away, that it's very easy for you to believe that when he comes back, he's going to just destroy everything. He's taken us away to this heaven spiritual place. We're going to float around on clouds. It's going to be awesome with harps and, you know, who knows what else. But when you start to see the picture of Scripture from the Old Testament to the New, this idea of, of going from the Garden of Eden to this new city that's coming out of the heavens, where now he's restoring, meaning he's, he's healing, he's making new, he's reconciling. He's bringing even creation back to himself. He's not taking creation and throwing it away. He's taking creation and bringing it back to himself. I mean, he's reconciling all things. Now, if, I'm not sure if those verses were up there with these different points. As, as far as if you want to see the one I just talked about, uh, you can go to Colossians 1, 16 through 20. And again, it's all through the scriptures we'll talk about in our next series on heaven. But he is reconciling all things. And when you begin to see that he's not throwing anything away. Everything is being restored and brought back to himself. It changes the way that you view the world. It changes the way you view your sinful neighbor. It changes the way that you view ISIS and Hamas. It changes the way that you view yourself. When you realize his entire intent was not to come back to punish the world, he's coming back to restore the world. And as we see in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that Jesus himself becomes the 
the ultimate sacrifice, who he receives all of the punishment of sin so that God does not count his sin against anyone or anything. And so anything that would embrace Jesus now gets embraced in this entire work work of God of healing and bringing back to himself. It's like this giant cosmic hug taking place. He's bringing it all back to himself. And all you have to do to be in this is to cling on to Jesus. If you embrace what God is doing in Jesus, you are part of this healing, reconciling, bringing everything back to its rightful order. The only way to be left out of this is to reject Jesus. It's the only way. Now, the question becomes, so he's got all this stuff he's going to accomplish. This is kind of a, you know, a big deal, what he's trying to do here. The question becomes, how is he going to do it? Now, this is a huge, I mean, there's so much in this, we can't cover it all today. Here's the first thing. The first way that the king of kings, this Lord, this king of all the world, is going to accomplish these things is at the cross. We see that his coronation as king happens at the cross. His procession of peace as he rides on a donkey, his robe of setting things right, his crown of suffering, and his wooden throne of sacrificial love uh, inaugurate his reign as king of the Jews and of the world. I'm not going to go too much on this. Next week is, is Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about the Savior King, the Messiah and the king of the world who's also the, the source of all salvation. We're going to talk about how he saves everyone. We're going to talk about it next week. And the picture we get on Palm Sunday, we get this picture of this, this, this king who's coming to conquer the world, but he's riding on this little mule, this little colt. I mean, it, you know, it's not very intimidating, you know. And like this scene where Caesar comes in on this mighty horse with all his armies and the centurions and all of the, the weaponry and the force and the might, he comes in on this little colt. Instead of the crowds around him having shouts of victory and they have swords, they have, you know, the heads of the conquered kings. Instead, he has these people all around him saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord and what he's doing. And they have these, these palm branches, this picture of peace and of gentleness and compassion. And it's showing the inauguration, meaning when Jesus is king of the world, this is how he will reign. Caesar will make his will take place on the earth by his force and his power and his swords and his chariots. But the king of kings will bring his will to sweep the world and conquer everything through sacrifice, suffering, and love. Because if the Messiah is going to have this eternal reign where everything is made right and everything is perfect, the only way for anything to be perfect is to take out death. And to take out anything that leads to death. So how can this king who's going to create this, 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 this sinless, deathless world with nothing but beauty and love, how can he create this thing with the exact same weapons that these other kings have created this terrible world that we see before us? And so he comes and he takes his place as king on the cross. And so we see his... his the inauguration, we see his, his, his procession on, on this cult. We see him, he takes up his robe of righteousness, this, this picture of making things right. And of course, they're mocking him. We see this, this crown of thorns. And again, it's all done in, in mockery, but it's the ultimate irony of all the world. This is how God desires and to conquer the world is through suffering. He doesn't come to cheers and chants of his power. He comes to people spitting on him and, and mocking him beating him. And then when he comes to take his seat on this throne of power, 
which will reign forever. He doesn't come to this throne of gold. He comes to this thing of wood and blood and pain. And as, as this cross is, is risen, you see this picture of the king who will reign forever, but you see the picture of how he will do it. Through love and sacrifice and suffering. And you wonder why this is good news. Whenever I was a youth pastor, and even younger, I used to have a difficulty. I said, you know, the gospel I was taught, how can I tell someone this is good news? It just doesn't sound very good. God is really mad at you. You didn't even know it. He's coming to get you. He's going to drag you to a really bad place unless you believe that his son is going to be dragged to the really bad place and beat for you and just, you know, acknowledge that. That's really good news. He loves you so much he's going to beat the poop out of you, you know. But there's a way out of this beating. He's going to beat his son just for you anyway, you know. Whoa, great news. Can't wait. Heaven's going to be awesome with that guy. But I hope that you see how this is good news for everyone. The only people this is not good news for are ones who desire to rule themselves or to keep their own kingdoms or people who, who desire to rule this world. It takes us back to the money God. The only people who have issues with this idea of letting go of control are the ones who don't want to submit to any reign, no matter how good it is, who desire to stay in control. The next way that God will accomplish all these things through his king and his Lord is through the resurrection. So at the, at the resurrection, we see the invasion of earth by heaven. He's been, he's been announcing the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is now near. In essence, the scriptures even have this picture about the fact that God himself is in this earthly tabernacle. It means that all of God himself is now hidden in this tent of Jesus' own body. And the moment that he is pierced and dies on the cross, there is this release of power as if God, heaven is now invading this place. The invasion has begun. The supremacy of his authority and the powerlessness of his enemies are made clear at his victory over death, who is the most vile and destructive force released in the garden. Meaning the ultimate enemy, the, the biggest bad guy, if you would. If you notice, um, in these times there was still this practice from certain nations where when you have these nations at war, sometimes they would agree to send out their champions. They'd send out the, the biggest baddest guy from each army. We see it with David and Goliath. And there's actually even a picture here that goes all the way back to the messianic king of David. This idea that Satan sends out his giant, he sends out his giant of death. The ultimate soldier for Satan, the ultimate enforcer of the kingdom of darkness, the bite of the serpent is death itself. And so Satan sends out his worst. He sends out his biggest soldier and then God sends out his own, his son. See it? Here's next thing we got. The next way that if the invasion, if it begins with the resurrection, if it begins at the cross, then what's happening in the in-between? We know that when Jesus returns, it's going to be finished. This war will be finished. He will make all things right. He will wipe the earth and all creation and all the universe for, of his enemies. But what is going on in the in-between? Through the people of the cross and the resurrection, 
That's us. Through covenant faithfulness. This goes all the way back to the picture of the Jews with their God. This idea that God would heal the world through this covenant relationship. This relationship of trusting his work and his power and authority to humans. It goes all all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This picture that God desires to exert his authority and his power and his healing nature on the earth through us. He's going to restore this relationship with his people from the cross forward. And so through covenant faithfulness, 